Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're back this week. Hope you're ready to study the Bible for 30 minutes because that's all we get to do on this program is uh, answer some questions about the Bible. Uh, if you have a regular viewer, you know how we operate and what we do and why. Uh, there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. And that's what we do. Our purpose is to help people know their Bible a little bit better. Uh, we offer some study materials, but other than that, all we do is answer questions and we let people tell us what they wonder about the Bible or about something in their life that the Bible might have a, a, a principle on, we'll try to find that answer for you too. So give us a call or log on. You direct this program. Toby and I will try to answer them. Toby Levering's back. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. Got uh, a lot of good questions. We're going to get to them as fast as we can, but let's start with one for our viewers like we always do. Uh, Noah's Ark, what kind of wood was that made out of? And we'll give you an answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know uh, the construction material that Noah and the boys used to get the ark built. All right, I drew the first one today, so let's go with a little history question here. Viewer wants to know, did Martin Luther take books out of the Bible? No, Martin Luther didn't take anything out of the Bible. Uh, he wanted to, but he didn't get the job done. Uh, the main thing he objected to was the Apocrypha, which uh, are books that are in most Catholic Bibles today. Uh, he didn't think they were inspired, and obviously most Protestant scholars agree with him because it's not in what we call the Protestant Bible. Uh, but those books were written between the Testaments. We've talked about them before. Uh, they're interesting. They're kind of religious, some of them. They're, some of them are pretty good history. Uh, but they weren't inspired by God, and it's what we believe. So uh, Martin Luther didn't think they ought to be in the Bible, and he didn't like the book of James. Uh, the book of James kind of messed with his theology uh, from what Martin Luther understood about salvation by faith only and all of that. Uh, the writer James says it's not by faith only. Uh, there's got to be some works too. So uh, Martin Luther didn't like that. He called it a right straw epistle. He said it wasn't worth <laughs> worth keeping. We ought to get rid of it. And there were a couple others books in the New Testament that he didn't think too highly of. But uh, no, he kind of recommended that they be taken out, but he didn't get the job done. So he didn't take anything out of the Bible. Okay. Uh, a question about uh, the Ark of the Covenant. If we ever find the Ark of the Covenant... Will people die if they touch it? Uh, I think this question is kind of like saying, if I ever win $300 million, how should I invest it? And uh, it's kind of, in other words, it's a big if. Um, the, the, the question is sort of interesting, fascinating uh, to theologians and Bible students and scholars. 
about what exactly happened to the Ark of the Covenant. Obviously, it was a, a big centerpiece of the, the, the meeting place, the holy presence of God uh, us, with the Israelite people. What happened to it, and, and why don't we still have it, and, and what would happen if we did find it today? <clears throat> the last time we read of the Ark of the Covenant is in Second Chronicles 35, and, and this is also Second Kings chapter 23. Both are giving the same account. The 18th year of King Josiah's reign, uh, King Josiah was king of Judah, and he ordered that the caretakers of the Ark of the Covenant return it to the temple in Jerusalem. And that's the last time we hear anything about the Ark of the Covenant. Um, Forty years later, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon would capture Jerusalem and he would uh, raid the temple. And less than ten years later, he would return, take what was left of the temple, burn it down, and burnt the, basically laid waste to the city. Uh, so what happened? Was it taken by Nebuchadnezzar? Was it destroyed? Did somebody take it away and hide it in a cave somewhere? We don't know. There's and there you, you can Google it, and there are a ton of theories. Some you know about where it is and why it's got to be there, and all of this stuff. And at the end of the day, all of that is speculation because clearly it hasn't been found. Uh, will it be found? Who knows? Uh, in the end, uh, the ark remains lost to everyone but God. He alone knows what's happened to it. Now, on your on your uh, questionable, you know, if we do ever find it. Could we touch it? And if somebody touched it, would they die like Uzzah did? Or uh, my estimation of that is, I don't think any anything would happen because I don't think the presence of God uh, is dwelling directly in that space, uh, but rather through it dwells in us through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. So that's my best answer to a very speculative question. That's pretty pretty much a long shot. So we don't know where it is. Only God does. And I don't think anything would happen if we ever found it. But. Okay, you can touch it if you want to. <laughs> I'm not doing I'm it. I'm not messing with it. That's probably be on the safe side. <laughs> I thought Indiana Jones settled yeah, all that. That's right, yeah. That's the, the great theological work of Indiana Jones. Yep. Yeah, I, think I agree with you. It's a mighty big if. I'm not going to worry too much about finding it. All right, here's here's a hard one. Hebrews chapter 6, viewer wants explained. Hebrews 6, 1 through 6. Uh, the part that I'm sure our viewer is interested in is actually verses 4 through 6, and it's a little lengthy, but let's read it to make sure we know what the viewer is asking about. The writer of Hebrews says, For it's impossible, and that's a key word here, it's impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. It's impossible, remember that word, to restore them again to repentance. Since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding Him up to contempt. So what this passage seems to say is, uh, somebody that's really been a Christian, and I know the... Uh, Calvinists say, no, the people, this person really wasn't a Christian if he falls away. But you can't get much clearer than what the writer of Hebrews said. Uh, he lists all those things. They've been enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. They shared the Holy Spirit. They tasted the goodness of the Word of God. I think that's pretty good, solid Christian. And the writer of Hebrews says, if they fall away, 
uh, it's impossible to restore them because they're crucifying the Son of God again. Now, the question is, is it really impossible? Somebody that falls away, that decides, no, they're not going to follow Christ anymore, is it worth even praying for them or talking to them or anything like that? Or is it really impossible? Well, the problem is we know of people who have done that, who have been good, solid Christians, have gotten into sin and problems in their life and messed up and decided that, no, I can't be a Christian anymore, and somehow they come back. So it's possible. Uh, but I think if we look at the context, we can get what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Uh, I think as long as a person is alive, let me give you the bottom line here, as long as a person is alive, it's possible he can change his mind. It's possible he can see the light, he can come back to God, all of that. So it's as long as there's life there. But if you look at the context, I think what the writer is telling us, let's read the first two verses before we get to the passage that we just read. The first two verses say, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, for it's impossible. And then he goes on with the verses we read. So I think what the writer is saying is, if somebody, a good solid Christian, really does fall away, decide, nope, I'm going back into the world like Demas did. I'm going back into the world. I'm going to serve Satan. I'm nothing to do with Christ anymore. I think the writer is saying, don't waste your time preaching to them about Jesus is really the Son of God and, and how to be faithful to Him and all that because they've, they're crucifying Him. They, they've tasted all that and they've turned away from it. So don't let's spend our time talking about those things. Let's just go on to maturity ourselves. Let's go on to pursuing Christ and being mature. And that kind of person, those basic arguments, sending them the first course of the Bible correspondence course, isn't going to bring them back because they've made a decision to crucify the Son of God again. Now, is it impossible? Like I said, I think as long as there's life in somebody, they got a chance uh, to come to their senses and come back. Uh, but I think what the writer is telling us is they've made that decision. There's really not much you can do about it. Uh, they've made a real serious decision there. If they were really a solid Christian and chose to throw all of that away, uh, it's going to be really, really tough. So I know I didn't exactly answer that, whether it's impossible or not, but I think that's what the passage means is how serious of the decision they made. Um, let's go on to maturity and we can pray for them and hope they come to their senses someday. All right, Bible study materials is what we talk about at least once in the program because we want you to study the Bible. We think it's a good thing to study the Word of God. Uh, the Bible itself tells us that it has all things that pertain to life and godliness. So if you've got life questions, if you want to know how to be godly, if you want to know how to run your family, if you want to know how to take care of your finances, if you want to know how to deal with death, all those things are in the Bible. And we talk about a few of them each week, but we can't cover them all. So we recommend that people study the Bible in their own home. Uh, there's eight lessons in this first course, which is the one we start with, and it's just a good basic overview of the Bible. 
see the first two lessons right there, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, get that understanding down first, know what those two big parts are in your Bible, and then go on to some more topics. So good way to study the Bible, good way to get a basic grip on the Bible. Uh, after that course, we've got some more advanced courses. Happy to provide those for you absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is call that phone number or log on to that website. Tell us you'd like that free course, and we'll get it started for you. All right, Toby. Uh, explanation of a verse is what this viewer would like, and a pretty well-known verse, by the way. What does John 3.16 mean? You see, John 3.16 probably said one of the most well-known verses. You'll see people holding it up at, on signs at football games and different things. Uh, and, and it's a, a beautiful verse because it so well encapsulates uh, the, the gospel and what God did for us. Let's look at it on the screen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, uh, that's the verse. What does that mean? Well, I think it just means exactly what it says. God loved us enough uh, to send His Son to die for us, uh, to pay the price for our sins so that we could have the opportunity to have uh, eternity with Him. Uh, the the interesting phrase, I think, in the verse is Who's, whoever believes in Him. Uh, there are a lot of people that acknowledge that Jesus was a real person, that He really existed. They believe Jesus. They don't believe in Him. In other words, uh, there's uh, intellectual acknowledgement, but they don't live their life according to His teachings. They don't submit to His will. They don't uh, do what He said to do. They don't trust Him enough to go that far. And uh, that's, that's an important distinction, uh, believing Jesus, believing that He existed, believing that He was, and, and believing it in your mind or even saying it is not enough unless you show that you believe in Him enough to do what He said to do. Uh, as an example, uh, Satan, uh, the devil, the uh, demons, they all understand and knew exactly who Jesus was. They believed that He was real. Uh, they didn't want to submit to him. They didn't, you know, they were defiant to him. They were disobedient to him at some point. So, uh, obviously, they, all of them, almost every interaction you see in the scripture between Jesus and uh, the enemy, uh, they know very clearly who he is without question. Uh, they didn't, however, believe in him to, enough to do what he said to do. Uh, earlier, in, since we're in John chapter 3, at the beginning of the chapter is the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. And uh, he said in verse 7, he said, uh, uh, if you want to go to heaven, you must be born again. You must be born of both the water and the Spirit. Well, okay, the question is, do you believe in Jesus enough to do what he said to do? And that's the word we would use is trust. And, uh, and follow that with doing it, obeying. Um, so that's what it means. Uh, God loved us enough to send Jesus. And it's up to us whether we're going <coughs> to trust him enough with our lives and our eternity. All righty. Uh, we've got a pretty s short, simple question here. Viewer wants to know, does God still heal people? And my answer to that is short and simple. Yes, God still heals people. Uh, only God heals people. Uh, doctors do some amazing things and figure out how to help us and do all that, but most doctors uh, certainly wouldn't claim that they healed anybody. They'd understand that they discovered what God had already put in place and uh, how the physical world works, 
and they have discovered some great inventions that work with that natural world and uh, bring about healing. But not many doctors would say, I healed that person. Only God heals. So, yes, God still heals. Now, I know what the person's asking, uh, and let's try to explain it this way. Let's talk about three different kinds of healing, if you will. Uh, first of all, all physical healing uh, is done by God. If I cut my finger or bruise myself or whatever, uh, it will heal. Eventually, over a period of time, uh, the body will heal itself, we say, but God's doing that. He created the body, so it, God's doing healing in that. Uh, secondly, uh, what we might call miraculous healing, something that we can't explain. Uh, we go to the doctor. Uh, he does an MRI or an X-ray or something and sees something, and we pray about it. Uh, maybe the church gets involved and prays about it. Uh, the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous men avail much. Uh, we pray, and when we go back to the doctor, the doctor says, I don't understand it. Uh, the problem's not there anymore. I can't explain it. Uh, we all know stories like that. We all know that happens. Uh, so we can call that miraculous if you want because we don't understand it. Uh, but God does that these days. Uh, things happen that there's no explanation for. Uh, God does miraculous healing today, I believe. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't pray. Uh, but that's why we pray. Uh, when we hear about a bad situation, we get together and say, please heal that person. Uh, he doesn't always answer in the affirmative. We don't understand his purposes, but sometimes he does, and we know that happens. Now, the third kind is what we read about in the books of the New Testament, the first few books of the New Testament, where a person had the ability to miraculously heal somebody by saying, be healed. Jesus could do that. Uh, the apostles could do that. We read about a few others who had that ability, uh, the miraculous gift of healing, and they could go to someone who was deformed uh, from birth or blind or uh, mute or had uh, were crippled, and they could say, be healed, and God would miraculously heal them right then. It was undeniable. Uh, the Pharisees even couldn't deny it. They said, whoa, he, he did, he healed somebody there. So that kind of instantaneous, miraculous healing at the command of a man, God doesn't do that anymore. Uh, that just doesn't happen. I know there's people on TV that claim they can do that. If they really can, they shouldn't be on TV. They ought to be in the Shriners Hospital. Uh, they ought to be healing people if they really have that power, but they don't. Uh, so, when you ask, does God heal people? Yes, physically all healing is by God. Do I believe he still miraculously heals uh, at his will and when he wants to? Yes. Uh, do I believe that there are men who have that power to tell people, be healed? No, I do not believe that. So, I think that's where the line's drawn uh, and I imagine that's what our viewers asking. Is there still miraculous healing today? Yes, but not the gift of miraculous healing uh, that we read about in the New Testament. All right, let me talk about uh, visiting a church. Uh, a lot of you already attend church. I have a lot of people come up to me and say, I watch the program before I go to church and all that, and that's good. 
but I know we've got a lot of viewers that are looking for a church home maybe, and we like to mention some each week today. I'm going to mention the home church of Know Your Bible, the Northside Church of Christ up on the North Meridian right here in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, we get visitors pretty regularly from folks that uh, watch the program and kind of want to see what we're all about. Uh, we're happy to meet them. Both Toby and I attend and work there, so happy to have you drop in any time. But uh, Northside's a great place to visit. We have a lot of great ministries. In fact, let me mention Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it's a program we have at Northside that meets there on Thursday nights, every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Uh, it's for folks that... Uh, need a little help in life, need to be with some others that can give them good counsel uh, and study through the Bible and find ways to deal with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Uh, it's been a very successful program. A lot of people visit on Thursday nights and find what they're looking for. So give us a visit at Northside or drop in on Celebrate Recovery. Whatever markets you live in, there's a Church of Christ near you. Uh, they're the ones that support this program, and we invite you to drop in and visit them sometime. All right, Toby, I think it's turn for you, your turn. All right, well, you mentioned inviting them to be a part of a church, and here's the person who asked about, do I have to? Uh, can, can, I, can I go to heaven if I don't go to church? Okay, well, um, I, the direct answer to your question is, I, I suppose in theory it's possible uh, could a you know, person be isolated and, and for some reason not be able to be a part of a church body and, and still go to heaven. I, I think God could still do that, absolutely. Uh, but I'm not sure any person who had the opportunity to do so would not want to be a part of the body. Now, let's correct a couple things. First, you talk about going to church, and you need to understand that just by the way you phrase it. And I understand that's kind of the way we all think, but church, when the Bible talks about it, is not a place you go to. It's a people you're a part of. The uh, original word is ecclesia, the, the, the called out, the followers. Okay, And so when, it, when, when in the New Testament, when it was talking about being a part of the church, it was being with that people who loved Jesus and who wanted to serve Him and who wanted to encourage one another and love one another and help one another. It was all about uh, one another. Paul compared the church to a body. And he said there's one body, but there's lots of different parts and lots of different gifts and abilities and, and many different you know ways in which people can serve and, and, and bring glory to Christ, and they don't all look the same. So it, it's a really a missed opportunity. I think most people who say, well, I don't believe you have to go to church. I, I, I think the reason for that is either one, uh, they've never been a part of a healthy church, or two, they were part of one and maybe it got dysfunctional and they got burned or they saw something that shouldn't have happened and they said, you know, if that's the way church is, I don't want any part of it. And, and I understand that. But, but let me also jump in and say uh, uh, there are no perfect churches because churches are full of imperfect people. That's why they are a church, because they need a perfect Savior. Okay, that's the whole point of it, is acknowledging that we're all sinners and that we all need His grace and His mercy. And we, in the body life, in the church life, we have opportunities to not only love God, but to love one another and to sh serve one another and show each other what that looks like. Remember the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well... The second one is the harder one, you know, loving my brother that I, is right next to me who sees things differently, who has a different personality, 
It's easier said than done. So in the church life, we learn how to do that. We learn to grow and mature in Christ. So I think it's good for you. I think once you're once you've put faith, repentant. Uh, repented of your sins, have been immersed into Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ, and I would encourage you to find a group of believers that will encourage you and help you uh, on your journey. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you have a responsibility to be a part of the body. You've got to learn your role and your part and use your gifts. Um, And when you're with the body, you'll learn and grow and mature uh, in Christ by virtue of the other parts. So I know I've grown a lot from the help the other parts of the body have given me, and I think it's advantageous to seek out a church body uh, near you if you can. That's why we advertise them nearly every week. Let's finish by reading 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. All righty, let's... Read a question that kind of ties into that, Toby. Uh, I put it next because it does relate. This viewer says, if you make your child go to church, uh, will he quit when he leaves home? And my answer to that is quite possibly uh, because children have free will. Uh, They can quit or keep doing whatever you've taught them when they leave home. That's the way the world works and uh, uh, it's the way it happens. So it's possible that if you make your child go to church, they'll quit at some point. It's also possible they won't. won't. Uh, one trick about making your child, there's going to be periods when you make your child do lots of things. Uh, even going to church. I've seen little kids go to Sunday school class and they go, they just love it and run to it every Sunday. And all of a sudden one Sunday they just throw a fit and no, I'm not going, you know. Uh, I don't know why kids do that, but at that point, the parents usually make them go to class, uh, and they live through it and are the better for it. So we make kids do We make them brush their teeth. Uh, we make them go to school. Uh, we make them take their plate to the sink when they're done eating dinner. Uh, well, are they going to quit that when they leave home? Well, they can if they want to, uh, but we have to make children do certain things because they don't know any better. Uh, Now, let me get serious here. I think the real determinant is not whether you make your child or not, uh, but what they see in your life. If they see that you make yourself go to church uh, so you can get your attendance card punched so God will have to let you into heaven and you don't get anything else out of it, you don't have good relationships there and all that, if they see that, uh, then they'll probably decide when they get old enough that, well, I don't really need church either. Uh, didn't mean much to mom and dad, so it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, if, however, they see that this is meaningful and helpful to you and you get something out of it and you have great friends there that support you and what a church is supposed to do, like Toby was talking about, uh, if they see that, they'll probably continue going. But ch- children have free will. They get to decide. Um, so however you raise them, they're still going to make a decision. And it's not always our fault, not always our credit when the kids turn out well or when they don't turn out so well. So uh, make your kid go to church good for them. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, we're out of time for questions, but we will get the trivia question answered here. Let's make sure we answer it. What kind of wood was the ark made out of? In one sense, I can answer that because the Bible says it was gopher wood. 
In the other sense, I have no idea what gopher wood was. The Bible just <laughs> calls it that, and the people got theories, but we really don't know what kind of today's wood it would be. So gopher wood's best I can do for you on that one. All right, we're glad you've been with us today, and uh, hope we got to your question. If not, we'll try to get to it next week. Hope you'll be back then to watch more of your questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.